In this week's episode, I get to the heart of what it really means to be renewed, to have Jesus change us in such a way that we don't go back to the way we were. We talk about the Apostle Paul and how when he had moments of weakness, like he talked about in Romans, he didn't go back to persecuting people. He didn't go back to being a Pharisee. He moved forward and he continued to renew his mind to put on the new spiritual clothing every day. And so that's what I'm talking about in this episode. Come on in. On Life Repurposed, you'll find a blend of practical wisdom and biblical inspiration that's designed to help you navigate everyday life with faith, purpose, and hope. We focus on personal and spiritual growth with a range of topics from improving your relationships and discovering your purpose to setting and achieving goals, plus tools and resources to help you live your repurposed life. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn the author of books and Bible studies about finding hope in the trashy stuff of life. Have you ever faced life's curveballs and felt you were in pieces? There's no need to be a Bible expert. This book meets you right where you are. So what's inside? Over six weeks, you'll dig into the Apostle Paul's story and his timeless letters, no fancy degree required. You'll explore thought-provoking questions and reflections, and go a little further with micro-studies throughout the week. Renewed is like a roadmap to rediscovery, renewal, and the kind of joy that sneaks up on you in the midst of life's messiness. It's like catching up with a friend who's been through it and wants to share their hard-earned wisdom. Themes such as redeem, restart, repurpose, revive, rejoice, and repeat light the way, showing you how to find beauty in the cracks and grace in the chaos. It's sprinkled with humor, relatable examples, and a healthy dose of soul-searching, and this book is your partner in spiritual growth. Whether you're flying solo or diving in with a group, Renewed has you covered. And don't worry, I left plenty of space for your notes, scribbles, and doodles. Ready to take a journey toward renewal, hope, and some serious soul-soothing? Grab your copy of Renewed, then get comfy, and let's dig in. This is the final episode of the Remade series that I recorded while speaking at a retreat. I know I've told you in the other ones, I had the audio going with my phone. I just plugged in a clip-on microphone, put my phone in my pocket, and recorded. So some of the audio needed some extra editing. But thank you for sticking with me through this series. This is part four of that and the conclusion of that series. And then next week, I will be back with a guest interview. So I hope you enjoyed this final session. One of the beautiful things is when we get to watch other people use the gifts that God has given them. And so even while we're worshiping God and praising him, I'm also in my heart praising God that he has gifted some people with musical abilities and other people with compassion because I've taken those spiritual gifts inventories. And for whatever reason, I fall very low on hospitality and um, compassion. (laughs) And so I appreciate that God gifts people in different ways. And so thank you for using, for being obedient to using those abilities to lead us before the throne. I feel like I can't begin to share from the word until I've engaged with God. And so this morning we've just engaged with God and now we're going to continue worshiping him by hearing from his word and applying that. 
And the beautiful thing is that all of our life is an offering. All of our life is worship to him. So sometimes in church, you hear people say, you can have a seat. We'll worship again in a little bit. And I'm like, wait, I know what you meant, but the whole thing is worship. All of this is worship. For me, getting up in the morning and getting dressed was worship because there are times on mornings, especially like this one, where jammies sound so good, don't they? You could have actually, if you wore your jammies to chapel this morning, this is the place to do that. So, you know, I can't do that at church necessarily because I often am in the lobby at the desk. So I can't wear my PJs to church. I want to talk to you this morning about letters. And especially we're going to be talking about Paul's letters because yesterday we looked at his before and after story. And now I want to just take a glimpse, a little walk through some letters because this is the legacy he left. Paul had the gift of encouraging other those new churches. And it's amazing how he had no gift for encouraging when he was persecuting. And all of a sudden, he's this pastor to other pastors and he's encouraging them. When I was a teenager, I met my husband at the little evangelical free church in Pittsville, Wisconsin. Anybody been through Pittsville? <laughs> like the exact center of Wisconsin. And so it's a town of, eight, it was 810 people back in the day. There was, a, it was maybe 100 people on a Sunday. And um, that's where I met and then married my husband, Phil. And for those of you who have not made the connection, he's the guy down in the kitchen. Maybe I said that before, but He's the only guy here braving all of us women. <laughs> and he was a boy dad, so he doesn't even know what to do with you. Know, he's just like, I guess he thinks I was a handful enough for him to know like how to deal with women. But when we were teenagers and I was dating him, I remember him trying to figure out what he was going to do with his life. He didn't love school and school didn't love him. You know, that was back in the 80s when uh, teachers didn't have all the ways of identifying things like dyslexia. And um, it was just kind of beginning to emerge as something where maybe somebody is smart, but they are struggling with something like dyslexia. But he was not made to feel like he was smart in any way in school. And yet somebody saw something in him. Tucked in the back of our, our pews in church, this was back when we sat on wooden pews in church, and we had these little yellow cards in the back they were encouragement cards that had a little Bible verse at the bottom. And the point of those was for us to grab one of those periodically and write a word of encouragement to somebody else in the church. I remember as a teenager, I had a prayer partner and she would use those cards. She would slip one to me and I'd find them in my Bible later because I'd tuck them in there when I was at church. Well, a few years back on New Year's Eve, I decided I was going to clean out these Rubbermaid tubs of all our old mementos. And digging through that, I pulled out one of those yellow cards, and it was written to my husband. And I want to read to you what it said on there. This one is from our pastor's wife. Maybe over the years, some of you met Beth Bergstead. She's since passed away, but she used to come up here all the time with retreats. He had just graduated from high school, and he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do with his life. And he had tried tech school for one week, hated it, quit. And he was just like thinking, I'm never going to amount to anything. And she said, have you considered full-time Christian ministry? I'm going to try to read it. I feel that God has gifted you with a tender heart and a loving spirit. Okay, if anyone has a tissue, I'll take it. <laughs> 
Oh, thank you, Olgi. You have the gift. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. I'm going to start at the top. Have you considered full-time Christian ministry? I feel God has gifted you with a tender heart and a loving spirit. God asks us to be plain, ordinary earthen vessels into which he can pour the fullness of his power. I can see you in a youth pastor role or a missionary or other role where you could touch lives for God. I'm praying for you. Beth passed away before she knew anything about what those words meant. In fact, in that moment, he was like, youth pastor, I hate public speaking. So I'm not going to be a youth pastor, and I know I'd probably have to go to seminary, and I hate school. And so for him, that made no sense to him, other than that she had seen through something and saw that he had a heart for ministry. And it would be 20 years later almost, 20 years from then, when we were coming up here, and I would come as a speaker, whether it was a women's event or speaking for Kids Week, and he'd come when he could have a day off and do some maintenance at camp. I'm just going to pop in here for a second. Here I explained how the staff at the camp, when I would come up and volunteer, approached him about considering coming on staff as a maintenance person. Okay, let's jump back in. You know, it feels like, well, I have a stable job. I really like my job. But the more the wheels kept spinning, the more he said, you know, I think I'd like that. He grew up coming here. He loved this place. And so he, we started to talk, and it was a missionary position, so we'd have to raise support. And again, he's like, that is a roadblock because I don't do public speaking. I don't do those things. But the more and more we talked about it, the more the two of us came to this place where we said, no matter what other people say or what our doubts are, we think this is the place that we're supposed to move our family. And so he made this commitment to go ahead and raise the support, and if you know how you say, if God can do this, then we will go. But the big risk was that he had to tell his boss. So we had to take the risk of telling him, we're going to start raising support to be a missionary, and we'd like to stay working here until we can go. And his boss said, this was August, he said, you have until May. And the board here said, okay, you start raising your support, and if you get to where you need to be, or even if you're not where we want you to be, we're going to have you move up here and you'll find some other work in the community or whatever you have to do. We bought a house six months before we came here and we started that process. And you know that when he came in May of 2006, he had about 90% of his support raised. And in those 17 and a half years, only twice, has he had to like send out a letter to people to say, my account is almost dry. God had a plan, and we had no idea that it was going to be a version of youth ministry, a version that he could be a maintenance person where he could fabricate things and work outdoors and fix tractors and all those things. And if we look back, that letter was encouragement. We didn't even know it at the time. And so when you receive a letter from someone, sometimes you're like, oh, that was nice. And we're just talking at breakfast this morning about digging out things and reading your old journal entries. It's fun to sort through old letters. It's fun to look at those. I encourage you to do that if you're like me and you have a, a stash of them somewhere. Never underestimate the power of words. Soldiers use letters sometimes as a lifeline 
when they were on the field. My grandpa met my grandmother in Michigan and then shipped out for World War II, and they courted for three years over letters. They hardly knew each other. I think they'd met in person twice. They planned their whole life, talked about uh, being what it would be like to be married. They they planned out where they might live, what he might do for work after the war. They did Bible study together over letters. They would write almost every day. They would tell each other what they had read in the Word. They chose a a Bible, a book of the Bible to read together, and then they would discuss it over letters. And then they got married right after he came back from World War II. That mail was a lifeline to soldiers. And the beautiful thing is that we are also a letter to other people. Our lives are a letter. And so as we wrap up our time together, we're going inside some of Paul's letters, but we're also going to look at um, how we can then be a letter to somebody else. One of my favorite verses, I don't really have a life verse because I'd have to have 20 of them. There are just certain ones that resonate with me. And one of them is Acts 20, 24. We came here, and I think I might have it. I don't know if I have it on the screen or not, but uh, we came here on one of the family camp weekends. And one of the projects was to take a wood-burning tool and burn a scripture into a little board to take home. And this was while Phil was raising support. And um, we picked Acts 20, 24. And Paul wrote, uh, these are Paul's words written in Acts, and Luke's the one who wrote Acts, but this is quoting Paul. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. This became a driving force in Paul's life. His life was worth nothing to him unless he finished the work of telling the good news. So Paul was in prison. Paul had people who were after him all the time. He had no fear because he knew God had given him this gift, this work for him to do. And so as we look at Paul's letters, we're going to be looking at a couple of them. The first thing that we're going to see in his letters, truth number one, the struggle will always be real. Some of us will never know here while, while we're on earth why we have struggled with something. Um, we know that sometimes God uses our story to bless somebody else. And we, we can look at Paul's letters and we can see why God put him on earth and why he went through all those struggles. But our biggest question might be, why me? God can handle our questions. It's okay for us to answer those or ask those questions. But we have to know that our struggles will always be real. And Paul gives us a glimpse into one of his own struggles in Romans 7. This is one that I relate to more than any of Paul's other letters. And so let's read from Romans 7, starting at verse 15. We'll be reading Paul's words. I don't really understand myself. Hmm. Have you ever said that? See, Paul understood it. I don't really understand myself for what I do, for I want to do what is right but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. 
I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Sometimes we stop at that verse and we're like, yep, I can relate. Oh man, I'm, I'm really struggling. But we need to go over to the next chapter and read verse one because this is where we find the hope. He says, so now, anytime there's a so now, there's gonna be some good news. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That's where we find the hope. We see that Paul wrote in a real way. I, I want to write that way too. So if you read any of my books, you're going to see that I talk about my struggle because it's an ongoing thing. We're not perfect. God has given me a desire to do what's right, but I'm always struggling with that old, my old judgy nature sure likes to pop up at the wrong times. And then maybe it's a temptation you had from the past, whatever your struggle is. And then we sometimes dwell on it and we think, oh, and we shame ourselves. If only I could just do the thing that I know I'm supposed to do. I'm always doing that. That's exactly what Paul's saying. And then here's that hope. So now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's where I have to remind myself that it is a daily, daily thing, giving my imperfections to Jesus. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we lose our way. Paul was spiritually blind. He did not know that he was doing the wrong thing. When God opened his eyes, he opened his eyes to see truth. And if we close our eyes and we don't look at Jesus, we lose sight of the truth in daily living as well. And it's not just that we don't see what's going on inside of us. We also miss God's holiness and his goodness. All the things we just sang about this morning. If our eyes are closed and we're trying to block out, we miss God's goodness. We miss his grace. We miss his nature and learning about who he is. I love the hope then that Paul keeps presenting. This one's not on your screen, but this is another one of my favorite verses from Romans 8. And you've maybe put this on a plaque on a wall, but let's apply it to our hearts. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. In verse 37, it says, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. So the second thing we see in the hope in Paul's letters is that number two, there is no going back. Imagine if Paul went back to persecuting Christians every time he felt that little struggle in his soul and felt like the old Paul when he was wrestling with that. Imagine if instead of being transformed, renewed, repurposed, all of those things, he went back and put it on like an old garment. 
Paul understood that also. And he used it in word pictures. This one's also not on the screen, but Colossians 3, verses 10 and 11, if you're jotting down where references are, Paul talks about putting on a new nature like clothing. And I don't know about you, but I love word pictures. When somebody gives me an example of everyday life, it sticks with me. And so Paul said, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Our word for today is renewed. Paul went on to say that it didn't matter where it came from, where we come from, what country, what race, what religious background, our status in life, none of that matters in God's eyes. He says, put on a new nature and be like me. Imagine if every day we got up and put on yesterday's clothes. Back in the day when I had little babies at home, those clothes were covered in all kinds of stuff. Baby food, child snot, (laughs) vomit, whatever was on there. Stinky stuff. I don't want to put that back on every day. When I took a shower, I wanted to put on clean underwear and clean clothes after a shower. And Paul is saying, don't put it back on every day. Don't put on the bitterness. Don't put on the anger. Don't put on the shame. Don't put on all those things that you want to put on from yesterday. You are clothed in new things. Be clothed in humility. We're going to talk about a few of those other things. When we feel the weakest is when we might doubt whether God can do anything with us in our lives, but that is when God is the most powerful. Paul wrote about that too, about how God is glorified in our weakness, and that's when we're the most strong. And so on the days when I feel weak, I feel weak this morning. And yet these are the times when God is there. This has been a week of all kinds of human interaction from last Sunday through now. I've had one day in between from when I got home from one thing to when I started this. And for me, I haven't had the recharge time of, that an introvert needs. Usually it's four days of recovery after a weekend. <laughs> but that's when I feel the weakest, when my brain is the most scrambled. And yet that's when God shows up in crazy ways. I've come to actually appreciate those days of feeling the weakest because it's when I feel like there's nothing in me that I can do this on my own and then God is there beside us. And so the third thing we see in Paul's letters when he talks about doing hard things and and, um, putting on a new nature is that we can find joy in hard things. Number three, we can find joy in hard things. Paul had something he referred to in his letters as a thorn in the flesh. Wasn't a literal thorn, although if you've ever had one, you know how irritating that is. Uh, my husband will come in and he'll tell me, yes, something, I have a sliver, you have to get it out. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'll try. <laughs> but you know, it's how you just, everything you do, you're, that one little thing can just show up and you can feel it. It'll drive you crazy. And Paul begged God to remove this thorn and God didn't. And in a letter to the Christians at Corinth, Paul gave some insight about the purpose God may have had for giving him a no answer every time he asked for deliverance of this thing. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul wrote, Each time, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Could it be that simple that God is just asking us 
to surrender it to him and say, I will take whatever garbage you have and I will make it beautiful. We have been remade by a loving creator who wants us to step into the plan he has for our lives. And so we can boast about our weakness. We can be a slave to Christ. When we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. Everything is so upside down in God's kingdom. There is beauty in ashes. There are trials produce beauty, all of those things. And I want, I don't want to minimize it. If you're somebody who's heard somebody say, well, God has a reason for everything or there's a purpose in everything. I don't, I'm not saying that because it, then we trivialize our pain. So I don't want you to be like going, well, what's the purpose in this thing? I think in the big picture is where I've seen the beauty show up. Overall, when I look through a combination of struggles, I can look back and see that despite very identifiable, painful moments, the big picture is beautiful. And so I, there are flaws. You know, if you're a sewer, you know that my quilts had a lot of extra flaws in them when I would sew. We know that when we look at those, we, the big picture is pe- beautiful, but yet there are flaws inside of there. I don't know what God's asking you to do. Maybe it's to forgive. Maybe it's to let go. Maybe it's persevere. Maybe it's wait. Trust. Transition to a new job. Change seasons. Move. I don't know what God is asking you to do. But when you live renewed by an encounter with Jesus, your life becomes a story. You become a letter that encourages other people because they see where God was glorified in the moments of your life. There is one kind of letter we haven't discussed. I've talked about encouragement letters and love letters. There's also a letter of recommendation. If you've had to, ever had to write one for somebody, you know that you have to um, you have to write this on behalf of somebody else testifying about their job abilities. They show up for work on time. <laughs> They are reliable. They don't have outbursts, all those things that you have that you think of in a recommendation letter. We are also a recommendation letter for Jesus. We become the person representing what Jesus can do in someone else. And so we become a letter to other people showing. And it's not one written with pen and ink, but the spirit of the living God. And we see in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote what this is. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 and 3, he said, The only letter of recommendation we need is you, yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God, carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Paul doesn't need a recommendation letter about his ministry to validate it. He's saying that we are a recommendation letter to others for Jesus Christ. How we choose to live becomes a letter that can be read by everyone who meets us. How we deal with adversity, how we respond in the middle of situations that would make us want to curl up and just stay home forever and ever. The power of the gospel is demonstrated in our transformed lives and how we read to other people. Remember how Paul was so proud of his Jewish heritage? Well, that was a religious tradition that really had being a good person 
as being part of the tradition. But that had led Paul down the wrong road, following rules, being a good person. And so in his letter to the Christians at Philippi, he explained how religiosity and tradition and all of those things were nothing in the grand picture. This one's not on your screen. In Philippians 3, 7 and 8, Paul said, I once thought these things, and when he's saying these things, he was referring back to the religious credentials he had just listed. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so I could gain Christ and become one with him. All of the things that we try to use to substitute for a relationship with Jesus are garbage if we don't have that relationship with him. As we wrap up our weekend together, I want to think about some challenges. Now, sometimes a speaker will give you one thing to do. I really want you to think of one thing that you're going to do going forward from here. But I'm going to give you three different ideas because I know that each one of us is in a different situation. But if you leave a retreat and you think, I want to this is what would happen when I came here as a participant years ago when my kids were little. I'd sit out and have my quiet time with God. I'm like, okay, when I get home, I'm going to do this. And, I'm gonna, and it became all doing. It became, I'm going to make sure I get up at this time in the morning. I need to journal more. I need to, it was more and more and more. It was doing. And I'm asking you to look for one thing, one step that you could incorporate into your life that would help you to grow in your relationship with Christ as you leave here. So the first challenge might be yours examine priorities. What really matters? We might take that look from Acts 20, 24, where Paul said, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Maybe the challenge then is to put in the blank. I consider, fill in the blank, nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. So for, for me, that sometimes has been changing the priorities and saying, I consider my hobby of, well, it was quilting at one point, and I consider that hobby worth nothing unless I'm also fulfilling the call God had on my life. I consider reading books for recreation nothing if I haven't also. You see, I didn't 100% give up all those things. I just rearranged my priorities to say that that hobby or that thing is nothing to me if I'm not also fulfilling what God has called me to do. The second thing that God might be asking you to do is examine your heart. When we examine our hearts, we can look at things like Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, one of Paul's letters, and he says, Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive everyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts 
And whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. So when we're examining our hearts, we can ask the questions, how am I representing Jesus? Is there something I need to take care of inside? Is there something God wants to remodel inside of my heart? Maybe that's it. Or maybe the third thing is that maybe God's asking you to examine your fruit. Maybe you already have your priorities in line and maybe you've already asked those questions. God, am I representing you in the way that would honor you? And maybe now he's saying to you, what is your fruit? Maybe you memorized Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of the things that I've come to shift my thinking on is when I see fruit of the Spirit. And maybe you've heard people say fruits of the Spirit, but when you look at it, it says fruit. This is not a fruit salad, although it's kind of fun with kids to make that an illustration, you know, because that's that's a good object lesson. Let's kick it up a notch and say, what if these are qualities of one kind of fruit? What if we think of a peach? That peach is juicy. It's sweet. It's tender. It has a blush. It's flavorful. It's fresh. It has an aroma. What if God's asking us to have all these qualities in the fruit he's asked us to bear? If we think of it as a fruit salad, I can say, hmm, I'm not real good at patience. And literally, I'm not. <laughs> what if I then say, well, you know, I have all the other fruits in the salad, but I'm not so great. I can just have a little patience, right? Kind of like those maraschino cherries that you just toss in a fruit salad. You just need one or two of them for decoration. What if he's asking me to bear fruit that has all of these qualities and that he wants to say, you know, the freshness needs to be there. Do I want a peach that's not ripe and juicy? No. And so I'm challenging you. Maybe if you're asking God, what does my fruit look like? Maybe he will have a characteristic he wants to cultivate as that fruit continues to ripen. So those three things, we're examining our priorities, examining our hearts, and examining our fruit. And then that one thing is asking God, what is the thing that you want me to do as I go forward from this place? What step could I take that would cultivate a transformation in me that would bring glory to you, that would show that I am remade in the image of Christ? I'm going to close us in prayer. And as I do that, I want to give you an opportunity to talk to the Lord. So if you tune me out, and you just have a little conversation with the Lord, that's perfectly fine. I also want to invite you to stay in this place. If you need more time with the Lord, we want you to have that. This is your place for that before you go back to life. So let's close in prayer. Father God, we want to be a good representation of you and your love to all of the people that we meet. I ask that you would reshape us into women who resemble you and how we act and how we speak to the people in our lives. And I ask that you would teach us to be willing to accept our weaknesses as opportunities to display your power. Help us to trust in your plan, especially when it doesn't seem to have any purpose at all. We know that you are more powerful than anything and you are able to work out troubles 
for good in a way that glorifies you. And so I ask for each person here who's struggling with something in her life, that you would just touch her heart in a way that she sees your presence here in this place, that she has a sense of knowing that you just touched her on the shoulder and said, daughter, I'm here. I have not left you. I'm here. I want to walk beside you as I reshape you into somebody, remake you into somebody who looks like me. And so, Lord, we lift up our hearts to you. Sometimes I've lifted up my heart to you in a resistant way, saying, Lord, I don't want to change, but if you really want to change me, okay. If that's the way our hearts are today, we bring them to you as we are, knowing that you receive us, that you accept us as we are. I thank you for the transformation you have begun. And I pray that as we go out from here, that we would be your love letters to people, that we would be words of encouragement that show people, I want to know that Jesus You know him so well, and I want that too. And so I ask that you would make us into magnets, people that want to draw closer to you. Thank you so much. We praise you and glorify you for who you are, for how powerful you are, and for showing up in this place in unexpected ways, for bringing us all here in this gathering, for blessing this weekend, for providing for rest and food and relationships and all the things that nurture our hearts. And so we thank you and praise you for that, Lord. We honor and glorify you with deep gratitude in your name. Amen. You'll find the show notes for this episode at michellerayburn.com slash 177 for episode 177. This podcast is now five years old. So watch for something coming up soon to celebrate turning five. It's been quite uh, quite an adventure. And so I thank you for being along with me on that adventure, for being faithful listeners, and for telling your friends about the podcast. You've been listening to Life Repurposed. If you'd like bonus resources sent to your inbox each week, be sure to sign up at michellerayburn.com 